Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in truth and in love. Amen. So we're moving right along in our Epiphany series in the book of 1 Corinthians called The Body of Christ. The Body of Christ. This is, this is what Paul calls us. The Apostle Paul calls us the Body of Christ, seeing that we've been baptized into one body. We've been given the Holy Spirit along with all of His gifts. And through faith in Christ, you and I are the one holy Christian and apostolic church, which we confessed earlier, along with all Christians in all times and in all places. That's who we are. But this shared identity that we have in Jesus Christ is not just played out in the realm of ideas and abstractions. It's not just pie in the sky wishful thinking. It's actually on the ground level. God has made it so that His church would live the Christian life together within the nitty-gritty context of a local assembly. That we would rub elbows together. That we would get our hands dirty together. See, it's not just abstraction and it's not just ideas. It's actually a real concrete reality. So that's why we're here. We are here to engage we're in, here to engage this new life that God has for us in Christ within and through our local church. And it's through our shared life as the body of Christ that our neighbors and our community can come to know what Jesus is like. That's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. That that's what it means to be the body of Christ in the world, that the world ought to be able to look into the church and see a picture of Christ and His saving, redeeming work, His great love for us. So we come today to one of the most universally known, one of the most universally beloved passages of Scripture, Paul's discourse on love. I'd wager to guess that you've heard this text before. Love is patient, love is kind, right? So in addition to being one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, it's also one of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture. Because usually it's plucked from its original context and it's utilized in service of our own modern notions of love. We like to take this verse and adapt it to whatever our culture's definition of love is. For example, I can think of a certain 8th grader who may or may not have been me who during class scribbled this passage in his notebook while thinking of his crush. I can assure you that she didn't feel the same way about me. She didn't know I existed. So that's an example. But where's the one place that you can be most certain that you will hear this passage? Weddings, right? You will hear this at a wedding. But was that Paul's intent for writing this piece of the letter? Was that his intention for this to be read at weddings? Now, for those of you who are looking to tie the knot soon, you know, uh, uh, if you've got your heart set on this passage, that's okay. It's a fine passage. I would just urge you to consider there's plenty of others out there that directly speak to a love, the love between the husband and the wife. There's so many other fine choices. But that's... That's up to you. Now, what I am advocating is this, is that we take, <clears throat> we take this biblical text out of the context of the pomp and circumstance of a wedding and we relocate it back where God intended it to be when Paul wrote this. Where did he intend it to be? The everyday life of the local church. 
That's where God intends this love to play out. Not just in the marriage relationship, but in the church. As a matter of fact, love is the most excellent way for the Christian to use his spiritual gifts. This is the most excellent way that Paul's talking about. I will show you still a more excellent way, he says. What is the excellent way? The way of Christian love. Our Lutheran confessions say this. It says, we are to keep the law when we have been justified by faith. And so grow in fulfilling the law more and more by the Spirit. So we actually, as Lutherans, believe that we do grow in this love. We are not saved by our love. We are saved by what? Faith. But real Christian love always accompanies faith in Christ. So we've heard about the spiritual gifts. We've heard about their use for the common good, for building up the body of Christ. We've heard about the different parts of the body working together, esteeming one another, suffering together, suffering alongside one another, rejoicing with one another. And now we move to the highest ethic that our congregation can practice, the highest ethic that we can embody as we do all of these things, the way of Christian love. So if we are the body of Christ, to push the metaphor further, if we are the body of Christ and we make up this organism called the body, then the oil which keeps our ligaments working is love. It is the oil that makes this thing go. For Paul, Christian love is essential. Essential within a Christian congregation. It's not optional. It's not something that we get to do if we get around to it. Whenever we feel like it. It's essential. To use our gifts or to operate within the body of Christ apart from love is to actually invite the judgment of God. It's that serious. Because you can speak in the language of countless different cultures. You can speak of the tongues of men and angels. You can use miraculous gifts of faith to move mountains. You can give your own body up to martyrdom or to poverty. But if it is apart from love, it amounts to nothing is what Paul says. This love we're talking about is no ordinary worldly love. The word that Paul uses is agape. Agape. And here's what it means. The, the deep affection of God and Christ for each other and for us. It describes Christians in our relationship with one another. We love because God first loved us. We love because we belong to God. This type of love is what naturally accompanies saving faith in Christ. This love, again, this love does not save. Don't get it confused. This love does not save you. Rather, it's the outworking of the gift of faith that God has given to you by His Holy Spirit. Love is faith working itself out in your life. So what are the characteristics of this love, according to Paul? What does it look like? Well, let's, let's start by examining what this love is not. What is it not? We start, love does not envy or boast. This love is opposed to jealousy. It's opposed to jealousy, that, that great vice that the Corinthians fell to in their use of the spiritual gifts. Jealousy is never content with what it has. It's never content to receive its own gifts. It always has an eye towards what other ha- others have. 
Always has one eye open. Yeah, this is nice, but what my neighbor has, I'd rather have that. Love does not brag. That's what it means by boats. It doesn't brag. It's not given to constant conversation about itself, but rather it wants to esteem others. It wants to hear about the other person. Now, this is going to get real practical. You know, you get in those conversations where someone goes on and on and on about themselves and they haven't learned to lick about you. Just think about that in your next conversation. Love does not brag. Love always esteems others. It considers its own wisdom to be foolishness compared to God's wisdom in the cross. So it doesn't boast in its own wisdom. It considers your own wisdom foolishness compared to what God has done. Okay, love is not arrogant or rude. Because egos are incompatible with Christian love. Egos fracture the body of Christ. So it's incompatible with Christian love. It's unbecoming of us as Christians to have huge egos. Love also does not behave improperly. It's not rude. That's what it means by rude. It doesn't behave improperly. It takes care not to give offense in all of its conduct. Christians conduct themselves in a dignified way in respect to their conduct in worship, but also their conduct towards the members of the opposite sex, and they consider what is ethical in all areas of their lives. Next, love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable and it's not resentful. Christian love, in other words, is not self-seeking. It despises living for itself. It exists only for the benefit and the welfare of others. It's not, easy, it's not easily provoked. That's what it means by irritable. This love is not easily provoked. Christians can control their anger through the help of the Holy Spirit. We do not carry a chip on our shoulder because the Lord does not either. We don't carry a chip on our shoulder because you know what? The Lord does not keep a record of all of our wrongs, but He remembers them no more. So we don't carry grudges, but we forgive. And finally, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This is really difficult. But Christian love does not rejoice in unrighteousness and ungodliness. It does not play footsies with sin. Let's not get it confused. A lot of times we confuse love with tolerance. That if you really love me, you let me do whatever the heck I want. That's not Christian love. It doesn't play footsies with sin. It doesn't give approval to wickedness. It doesn't rejoice in evil, which it has no part with evil. But it does rejoice in truth. The truth is what it has a part in. And the truth is Christ who sets us free from sin and death to love God and to love our neighbors, especially those within the body. So we know a good bit about what Christian love is not, but now for a positive case of what it is. One commentator said this, he says, Christian love expresses itself in outgoing, self-forgetful activity. It is outgoing, self-forgetful activity. In other words, it's far from dormant, it's far from passive, and it's not just a feeling or a sentiment. Rather, this love manifests itself daily in a multitude of decisions and actions that eventually build into life-giving habits. 
This love manifests, manifests itself daily in a multitude of decisions and actions that build into life-giving habits. So what does it look like? Scripture says love is patient and kind. Uh, another way to say patient here, the way the Scripture uses it, is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Just as our God is long-suffering. I saw um, one article here recently that pointed out that the Hebrew in, for long-suffering really means long-nosed. That um, God has a long nose and that He's able to put up with a lot. He's able to hold in His anger. Yeah, he's got a long nose. That's what it means. Long-suffering, long-nosed. <laughs> love is, Christian love is long-nosed. And this long-suffering love that we're talking about, it's the fruit of God's Spirit. That's the thing here. It's the fruit of God's Spirit. It's not something that we muster up by our own efforts, lest we get it confused. This is a love that can wait. It can wait and wait, but it's also kind. Taking after the example of our God who is tender with us, our God who daily provides all that we need to support this body and this life out of His infinite kindness and not because of any merit or worthiness within ourselves. And then the famous ending here, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. These last clauses here show us that long-suffering nature of Christian love, that long-nosed nature. Such love can put up with a lot of things. It can put up with a lot of things from its neighbor, for the sake of its neighbor, even when that neighbor is annoying or doesn't return that same love. Matter of fact, that's where that love is most palpable and powerful, is whenever it's undeserved. It believes all things and it hopes all things. In our small catechism, Luther's explanation to the Eighth Commandment says that we are to put the best construction on everything. Or we are to explain everything in the kindest way. So we're not out to get people, but we want to defend our neighbor's honor, defend our neighbor's reputation, always hoping and believing for their best. This is not a gullible love. This love isn't stupid. But rather, it's one that is hopeful for its neighbor. It always wants the best for neighbor according to God's will. And it never ends. Which is why in verse 13, Paul says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. How could Paul say that? You've got faith sitting there. You've got hope sitting there. How could he say that love is the greatest of these three? Because love will last forever. Faith and hope are still incomplete in some sense. They're still incomplete. And when Christ comes for us, according to verse 10, when He comes for us, our faith and our hope will be turned into knowledge. It will no longer be faith and hope. We're not just hoping for a far-off distant reality. It turns to knowledge. We will know fully. We will have no use for hope anymore. It will be gone because we will know in full. Faith, excuse me, faith and hope will be completed on that day. We see in a mirror dimly now, our vision is limited this side of eternity. 
But at the consummation of all things, when Christ comes for us, we will clearly see everything that God has for us in Christ. But Christian love, which, which Jesus has imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 5, keeps its same qualities. It increases in volume and it resounds forth into eternity. Love is extolled as the highest ethic by Paul because it has a benefit to your neighbor. Love is seen. Love is manifested. It is carried out in actions. That's why he esteems it as the highest gift. And one thing's for sure, we can determine from Scripture that Christian love, this agape, does not share a whole lot in common with our culture's definition of love, does it? The love that is championed by the world around us, the love that is prized most highly by the culture is a pathetic counterfeit. It's wearing a mask. It's a wax nose. It is completely self-centered and narcissistic. And while it once pretended to be concerned for others, now the mask has completely come off. How do I know? Because our culture is now prizing self-love as a virtue. Have you heard this? Self-love is now a virtue. Who does Satan want you to love more than anybody? Yourself. Because if he can get you to do that, if he can get you to take your focus off of what's outside of you, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, if he can get you to take your eyes off of that, and he can take away your ability to manifest God's love in this world, then he has won a small victory. He would love to turn you into a perpetual navel gazer. He would love to do that. You know, always looking down, always looking inward. He would love to have you always looking at yourself in the mirror. But Christ would have you look to Him for all that you need for salvation. And therefore, you are free to love and to serve others. So how are we doing? How are we doing on this? You know, it, if we're honest, <clears throat> if we read it in that context, if we see that this is Paul's intention, is, is for this love to be manifested in the local church, we realize that we fall so short of this standard that God calls us to because embodying this kind of Christian love in our lives is difficult. It's difficult. It does not come naturally to the sinful flesh, right? It does not want to belong to the body of Christ or give ourselves for our brothers and sisters. We constantly wrestle against our sin knowing that no matter how hard we try, it's not we who can muster this love on our own. You can't do it on your own steam. The reason you cannot is because this is no ordinary human love. This is divine love we're talking about. And it's a gift of God that accompanies saving faith in Christ. And we know, church, that God works powerfully through His Word. And through His Word, the Holy Spirit comes and kills the sinful flesh. And that the new nature, the new man, daily rises to love God and to love neighbor. It's His work in us. And that's how we can be confident that we can and we do walk in this love. It's because it's His work not ours. This divine agape love comes to us, church, 
in Jesus, who is here with us now. Just as He came into Capernaum in our Gospel reading today, He came in to heal, to forgive, to tend patiently to His people in love. The same Jesus who out of love for His Father and His love for us went to the cross to give His body over so that we might have salvation and know His love is here among us, healing us of our infirmity of sin, protecting us from the evil one as our good shepherd. You are fully known. You know that? You are fully known, sins and all, by your loving, gracious, heavenly Father. You are fully loved. You only know this by faith at the moment. You have faith that this is true. But one day, you will know in full. And when we walk in this love that God has given to us in Christ, we bring a little bit of that perfect future that waits for us in in eternity. We bring that future into the present, here and now. We manifest the love of God in our lives. We show each other and we show the world who Jesus is and what He's like by the way we love each other. So let's resolve to walk in this love, this love that is already ours in Christ. We walk as the body of Christ. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Amen.